All I have needed, great is thy faithfulness. Thy hands have provided, and I think all of us could probably add a couple of verses to that song. Great is thy faithfulness, and great is thy faithfulness is one of Thelma's favorite songs and uh, hymns, and we're going to sing one of her favorites as we close this morning as well. And I asked her what was her favorite Bible verse. And she simply reaches over, picks up the Bible. <laughs> I asked her what her favorite song was. She had a hymnal laying there. She picks up the hymnal. They're all my favorite. All my favorite. And uh, I think that I think that each of us could probably say that as well, right? Amen. And uh, another one of her favorite Bible verses, in addition to the one that we read, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, was Hebrews eleven six, 6, which says, talks about without faith, it is impossible to please him. Another one was 1 Thessalonians five eighteen, and all things give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. And so I know that Thelma has many more favorites, and going to be sharing them with us uh, uh, in the future, and you might be thinking about what are some of your favorites. Last Sunday, I kind of, I don't know if you can see this, uh, I had shared with you what I thought maybe a Valentine card from God might look like, and I had this and shared with you that the idea actually came from a young man by the name of George Baird about 28 years ago. And uh, I'd asked him to generate what he thought maybe a Valentine card from God might look like. And that's what he generated. And I've used it in the churches where Leanne and I have administered, but uh, it had deteriorated, couldn't use it. So generated another one this year. I want to thank Abby Moore for painting the inside of it. And when I put this up, I shared with you that uh, I, I thought maybe there was something missing. I thought there was something missing. And I invited you to be thinking about what that might be. And you know, in our faith, I think that when we think of the cross, by the way, there's nothing wrong with it. It's theological. It, it's the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen and amen and that a preach. I think we also need to think about the resurrection. Anytime we see the cross, we need to also be thinking of the resurrection. For the resurrection is the pivotal point. It's the fulcrum of our faith. And I heard a pastor many, many years ago said, without the resurrection, the cross would have been a tragedy. And uh, also last week, being Valentine's, uh, the greatest love. This book is all about love from Genesis to Revelation shared with you the two greatest commandments and where they might be found and the challenge that I had in trying to remember them. And the Lord just seemed to say, well, you mark your Bible, you highlight your Bible, so we're going to look in the book of Mark, and we got the first and second greatest commandment, put them together, we get chapter 12. And I shared how you remember it's on verse 30 and 31, you're on your own. But the idea is that we love God with all of our soul, with all of our heart, our mind, and strength, I shared that's our total being. And how does that look as we live out our life? How do we do that? And I shared this slide with you that there are seven things that it seemed the Lord brought into my consciousness 
And uh, if you think of something else, let me know. But our speech, does that reflect the love of God? How about our tithe, uh, our givings and our offerings, a responsibility to the Lord? Our time, our most precious commodity. We can get a lot more stuff, but we can't get any more time. So how are we going to use it? Are we using it for the Lord? God has given each of us talents, abilities, and gifts to be used for His honor and glory and for the edification of the body of Christ. And are we using our talents in our tasks, the things that we do? How about the things that God gives us, allows us to have, our possessions? Are we using those for the honor and glory of the Lord? And then, of course, our thoughts. And uh, I shared with you, uh, and I'll share with you today, too, that some of our thoughts, or at least mine, go in the ditch from time to time. And I need to replace those thoughts with Scripture because that's how Jesus combated the devil in the wilderness experience three times. It is written, it is written, and it is written. And so as we think about loving God and loving others, do we love Jesus? And Jesus says one of the ways that you know that uh, you love me is if you obey what I command if you obey what I teach. And so uh, let's do that. What on the earth did Jesus come for? If you want to turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45 in your Bibles, wonderful, awesome. If you don't have a Bible in your pew Bible, I believe it's on page 771. And if there's any of you that don't have a Bible, see me or one of the elders, and we'll see that you get one. And I thought I might share with you just a little bit before we we get into today's passage, how it came to be. Uh, one of my personal objectives is I try and have a date night each week with Leanne, and uh, it turned out to be last Sunday afternoon we went to see a movie. Our very first date, we went to see a movie. But last Sunday we went to see The Chosen, and I don't know how many of you have been following The Chosen. We've watched all three seasons, and the fourth season just came out a few weeks ago, episodes one, two, and three. And I understand four, five, and six are out on the big screen right now. But we went last week and saw the first three. And at the end, there was the uh, scene where uh, James and John wanted to be first and second. They wanted to be on the left and the right. And where did that come from? And Jesus, the, the person playing Jesus in the film, talked about why he came. And he says... Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And so with those, I'm thinking, wow, there's, there's so many other reasons that Jesus came. And I wanted to take a look at some of the mission statements of Christ and dissect, if you will, James and John request, what in the world is going on here? And so as a result of us going to the show, uh, that's what generated today's message. And by the way, if you have uh, some thoughts and you'd say, Pastor Galen, I'd like to hear a message on such and such, whatever. I probably can't get to them all, but uh, if there's some that have a, a common theme, we'll certainly try and put together a message uh, regarding those things. Let's take a look at uh, our text today and uh, learn more. Beginning, verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Teacher, they said, 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. And Lord, as we digest your word, help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to share it with others, the good news, the gospel message of Jesus. And Lord, if there's any here today that uh, have a hardened heart, I pray that you would do some uh, radical surgery, peel back the callousness of the heart, infuse your spirit within us. Father, we also ask you to open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears that we might see and hear those truths that you have for us that's so vital for our understanding and our living. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. At the corporate level, most companies and businesses have mission statements that defines their purpose, that defines what they're here for. And individually, question for you, have you ever taken the time to put together a mission statement based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and Scripture? And most of the time we don't, do we? We go through life and, and uh, we live one day at a time, and nothing wrong with that. That's what Jesus says. You know, you've heard the song, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. And so we live one day at a time, but I think uh, that there is some benefit of creating a mission statement. And uh, several years ago in seminary, I had a professor, a professor that challenged all of us to come up with a mission statement for our lives. And I've shared this with you on the front of my notebook that I've always brought to the pulpit from day one, and uh, my particular mission statement. And it helps keep you focused on a daily basis as you move forward and love God and love people. Well, Jesus' mission statement, if you could sum it up, here's one. But if you could sum up Jesus' mission statement, what would they be? And maybe you're thinking of a scriptural statement, and there are, and there are many. And uh, one of them might be, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If we take a look at the book of Mark, in uh, the first chapter, verse 38, Jesus says that he needs to go to other cities, other villages, and preach. That's why he has come. So he has come to preach the good news. He's come to preach the gospel message. We could also say, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And as we further look at Scripture, 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. For those of you who like the King's English, it says more abundantly. And I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. And those certainly aren't all of them, but they head you in the right direction, I think, as to mission statements of Jesus. And then we come to verse 45 today, which is the last verse of our text, and I think we find another mission statement. And here's what it would be. Verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come into this world to be served, now notice this, but to serve and to give but to serve and to give. Why did he come? Serve and give. Isn't that what your life's all about? And you know, I was thinking, if that's what marked Jesus' life, his mission to serve and to give, shouldn't my life be modeled after that as well? Shouldn't I be serving and giving to a greater extent than what I maybe currently am? And maybe a way to look at this is this. Is your life like this, or is it like this? Now, this is not a fist. This is just holding on. So do I hold on to my gifts and talents? Do I hold on to what God has given me? Or am I a channel of which just to, as I give, I give and I serve what God has given me? I'm just a resource, and I allow God to funnel those things through me. So are we giving and serving or holding on and receiving and expect others to do our bidding? And so serving and giving or holding on, holding on. One of the best ways, I think, of looking at serving and giving is our ministry as uh, something valuable for the kingdom. For example... Cleaning the church inside and out, cutting the grass, painting, answering the phone, preparing the bulletins, cleaning the bathrooms, teaching, playing instruments, and all the things we do here at West Highland comes under the heading of serving and giving, which translates into evangelism and outreach. And you might say, well, how could that translate into serving and outreach? Because you're here and people notice when they come in that our faith is dynamic, it's important that we're caring for the stuff that God has entrusted with us. A simple thing like regular attendance. Did you know that that's outreach and evangelism? Let me give you an example. Do you realize that when unchurched Betty Lou and John Jeremiah come in to our church and they see all of us worshiping, they see all of us singing praise him, talking about God's word, that says something to them. That says that our Christianity, that our faith is very important. We're here. We're doing stuff. And when you introduce yourself to others here in the congregation, take time to notice them and have dialogue with them, that adds value. There's an atmosphere within our church that says, and people have come to me, and I know that they've come to Pastor Tom as well, and they say something like this, People are so friendly here at West Highland. I really feel at home. And I feel welcome at West Highland. 
So your presence each and every Sunday is outreach and evangelism. Let's take our idea of servanthood to the next level. How about we intentionally engage in the lives of people? Uh, for instance, I read a true story over 70 years ago this happened, that a man by the name of Walt, Walt was six foot four, and he approached this young whippersnapper on the sidewalk playing marbles. Any of you ever play marbles? Oh my goodness. I do not know how to play marbles. You're going to have to teach me and show me. You see, my life was never like that. Playing, I never had time to play marbles. I was always working on the farm, grinding cow feed, milking cows, climbing a 60-foot silo, throwing down 365 forks of silage, putting hay in the bin. And uh, just, just, I never had time to do that. But here's Walt, nine-year-old kid playing marbles. And he uh, looks at him and he says, uh, hey, you want to play a game? And the kid looks up and says, you want to be beaten, mister? And Walt kneels down, plays marbles, whips this young whippersnapper, and I guess collects all of his marbles. And he says, would you like to get these marbles back? He said, yeah, we'll come tomorrow and I'm going to show you how to play marbles. I'm going to really show you how. So Walt took an interest in this individual, and they played marbles, and pretty soon the, the kid was getting pretty good. And then he did something strange. He invited him to Sunday school because Walt was a Sunday school teacher. So Walt in, in, uh, brings him to Sunday school, and that individual is Howard Hendricks. And you might say, duh, who is Howard Hendricks? Well, he's been a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for over 50 years and a keynote speaker at Promise Keepers. And he has authored more than 16 books, preached and ministered in over 80 countries in the world, and for eight years was a chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys. And here is what Howard said about his Sunday school teacher, Walt. In my own life, I can recall several of these profoundly influential figures who were strategically used by God to change the course of my life. The first was a man named Walt. Had it not been for Walt, look to where he's given all this credit, I seriously doubt whether I would have ever become a follower of Jesus Christ. You never know the impact that you're going to make on somebody else's life. And uh, Howard Hendricks. And God placed that Sunday school teacher by the name of Walt in his life. And who is the Lord placing you in other people's lives and ministering to them? Well, verse 45 has been talking all about giving and serving as a mission statement. And uh, it's actually Jesus concluding commentary here. So let's go back to verse 35. A request. And right before this request, in chapter 8, verse 31, in chapter 9, verse 31, in chapter 10, just two verses before our text today, Jesus is talking about his death. He's talking about agony. He's talking about suffering. And so this is kind of the backdrop. And we have two requests. And we want you to do whatever we ask. Incredible. Incredible, they asked Jesus that question. Man, talk about getting off on the wrong ramp, right? Here they'd been with Jesus, and uh, they asked this question. And uh, 
Uh, one incredible request, unbelievable actually, and what a thoroughly messed up understanding of Jesus. Again, they'd been with him for, for a while. And secondly, they were looking for a Jesus captivating to their interests, their desires, their wants, their selfishness, and their pride. And they understood that Jesus existed for their benefit. They just hadn't gotten the message yet. They were the center. That's what they were probably kind of thinking. And they were saying to themselves, yeah, I want to live my life in the center. Jesus is serving me. And uh, I know that you, you never think of those kind of things. And as I was thinking about living my life in the center, driving down the highway, getting off on the ramp, and there's automobile number one in front of me. I'm number two. Light turns green. And you ever take your foot off the brake because you're getting ready and anticipating it, and you start maybe, but they didn't move. So you got to put the brake back on. And you're wondering, what the heck? Three Mack trucks and a train could get through the intersection before they finally decide to move. Just not going anywhere. And maybe they're on a cell phone, maybe text message, daydreaming, whatever. And they don't go through, and the light turns red again. And I would just love, my thoughts are going in the ditch. Come on, get going, move here. Maybe you get thinking about tapping on the horn. But what's that called? Road rage or something, I guess? But you know, when uh, those kind of things, I need a, uh, to be honest, uh, I have more of those thoughts. Leanne actually brought a marker and a piece of paper and says, well, why don't you write your phone number down here and have them call you and put it right up there on the side of the windshield so that they'd be able to see that. Well, you know, I, my thoughts go in the ditch here, and I said, uh, I need to do something uh, that, that's, I don't know. I don't know, I need a transformation, I need a checkup from the neck up, I need a brain transplant, whatever you want to call it. And maybe I don't know what's happened. Maybe I need to extend the number two uh, greatest commandment. I need to love people. Maybe there's something happening there that I don't know. Maybe they need prayer. Maybe I need to extend grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and for my, my stuff because I don't know what's in, happening in the, in the car in front of me. You know, I'll never forget 2009 when mom called me and said, can you get down here quick? And uh, I said, what's the matter? Well, dad, your dad has fallen in the fire. And I said, fallen in a fire? Said, yeah, and they've flown him to Fort Wayne to the burn unit. And uh, all of my life on the farm, dad always burned trash every Saturday if there was no inclement weather. And anything that didn't burn, we piled up, and then we loaded that pile into the truck once a year and took it to the dump. And so this one Saturday, he was burning trash. And uh, what happened was he had a heart attack and fell in the fire. But he was able to get up, go in the house. He was in shock, and they called the EMS, which held it, transported him by helicopter to the hospital. And uh, uh, his heart stopped when they got him to the hospital, and they had to do CPR. And he was in the hospital for 12 days before the Lord called him into his eternal presence. And I'll never forget that automobile number one was me. I was automobile number one, and I just sat there in a stupor, I don't know, and I just wasn't concentrating, wasn't thinking, and the person behind me extended grace, didn't honk on the horn, could have, and maybe that's happened to you, but extended me grace, and I've, I've always thought about that. And we just don't know what's going on in automobile number, number one. 
Well, back to James and John. They began with a false idea rooted in personal selfishness, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you, he asks. And uh, think about that. If Jesus were here physically today, what would you ask of Jesus? Well, I know we've got the Holy Spirit with us 24-7, 365, but that's not the same as having somebody right beside you that you can talk to. And I don't know about you, but too often when I have thoughts, I have to sort it out. Is that from the Holy Spirit or is that from uh, my own stuff? Where are those thoughts coming from? But if Jesus were right beside you, what would you ask? What would you ask of Jesus? Maybe those with health problems and disease and afflictions would undoubtedly ask for some healing grace here. And maybe those individual, there's some individuals that would like to have a job, steady income, and, uh, which is certainly uncertain in these tough economic times. And perhaps the relationships, uh, just unfathomable what we could ask for Jesus, you know, all of our personal needs. And if we go to uh, uh, Matthew 6.33, we know what Jesus tells us to do. The very first thing we need to do, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so we think about that. Okay, back to James and John. We want you to do whatever we ask, Jesus. And Jesus asks, what do you want? And they say, let one of us sit on your right and the other in your left in your glory. They believed Jesus was going to establish a political kingdom, and they wanted to be part of it, and we want to be number one and number two. And what began as selfishness now, Jesus, we want, you to, we want you to do these things. We want to be in the center, and you exist to serve us. They got it totally backwards, didn't they? And his teaching, uh, all of this, for the time that they'd been with him, was certainly not, in fact, in, in, not in that direction. In fact, here's what he says. If any person desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Yet in spite of what Jesus said, they want to be first and second. And I began reflecting on these things, and I said, where did that come from? Where? And I'm always looking for root causes. When we had a garden in Indiana, Dad would always say, get the root. If you don't get the root, it's still going to grow. So a lot of times he'd wait until we had a rain in the garden and we'd pull weeds and it'd be easier to get the whole, the whole root and everything. But if it broke off on top of the ground, he'd say, you didn't get the root, you're going to come back and you're going to waste more time having to work on it a second time. So always deal with the root. And I began thinking about this and I, and I said, what are some root things here that caused this to happen in the first place? And I'm going to mention mom. Now, don't throw apples or tomatoes or lemons. Hear me out on this. But it might have been part of it attributed to the carnal desire of mom. If we go back uh, to Matthew chapter 20 and 21, we find these words. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, by the way, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked the favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in the kingdom. Now, first of all, let me share. There's nothing wrong with mothers helping sons. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be an advocate for their children. And many times in 35 years of teaching, I'd have moms come in and concerned about their son or daughter grade, and they'd be asking, 
how can I help them? How can I help them do better in class and their grades and all that? And I would always share with them what they could do. And I think I can say this categorically, that every mother who came in and was concerned with their son or daughter, every one of them improved because of mom's concern. So there's nothing wrong with moms being concerned. I want to share that with you. Perhaps there's another contributing factor. And if we go back to Mark chapter 9, we, we have this, uh, what we call the transfiguration experience. You remember this one. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. And so we have this spiritual high that James and John and Peter have experienced. Now, what might they have been thinking? Are we a cut above? Are we a little bit higher? Left the other nine down at the foot of the mountain. We must be something special. We're up here with Jesus. And I think we have to be very careful when we have those spiritual highs. We always have them, don't we? And when we have a spiritual high experience, I don't know if this is in your life, but certainly in mine, that I have to be on double guard because the devil is going to try and do everything he can to mess me up. I don't get messed up when I'm down in the valley, when I'm having a spiritual low. It's all for me. It's almost always when I'm on a spiritual high. So they may have been uh, thinking and concluding, we're better than the other nine. Jesus has given us some special privilege here. And uh, I think there's a third factor that may have caused them to feel that they could ask Jesus for the first and second best seats in the house. And it has to do with their calling. And if you go back to chapter 1, and in verse 20, Jesus says these words. Without delay, Jesus called them. That's James and John. And they were call, being called into ministry as disciples. And they, the Bible says, And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, don't go past that phrase. Listen carefully. To the hired men. And they, James and John, followed him. Most fishermen were poor. But James and John's father, Zebedee, must have come from an incredibly wealthy situation because Zebedee, dad, was able to hire workers. And perhaps they were, uh, I, I don't know much about fishing and that, but uh, I have a brother-in-law in Wyoming, and he's always talking about fly fishing being a cut above the bait slingers. And so maybe James and John thought that they were a cut above. And whatever, we look at Jesus' model of ministries. At any rate, those are just possibly three reasons that it could account for this. And what Jesus says about qualification for spiritual leadership is not receiving, but serving and giving. Serving and giving. And they make this incredible request, and I think there's some insights that we can learn from this. And number one, there's a cost for leadership. And Jesus tells us, he says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Can you do that? And uh, they, they say, well. Principle number two, there are some decisions that are out of our hands to make. All throughout Scripture, we see authority structures. And in these authority structures, for instance, wherever you're working, you have people over you, you have people above you making decisions. And so here's one, Jesus said, it's not, not mine to give, it's the Father's. 
I think, uh, number three, we have to be careful when we say things. Notice in our text today, the disciples were indignant with James and John because they were asking for these things. They thought they were better than everybody else. And uh, I think uh, if I were to say a, a fourth principle here that Jesus' teaching is that Jesus' way is not the world's way of doing things. And uh, the Gentiles always wanting to have and receive, but Jesus says serve and give. And Jesus also says, and if I include a fifth principle here, that whoever wants to be greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And that's an, it's an upside-down kingdom, I think, is maybe a way we would say it, because it's not, our, it's not the world's way of thinking, the world's way of doing stuff. And uh, it's a matter of humility and service. And so if we go back to Jesus' mission statement, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You know, by the way, I don't, I don't mean to tell you today that it's, that it's never, how's the best way to say it? Uh, it's okay to receive and be blessed. Thelma has always given her heart, all that she has, all that she is, and all that she has to everyone around her. And for us to honor her this weekend, that's very appropriate. That's very appropriate. And, uh, but we could ask a couple of thought-provoking questions this morning. Who's in the center of our life? Are we in the center of our life, or is Jesus in the center of our lives? Are we serving? Are we giving? just like and modeling the example that Jesus gave to us. And uh, it, it, maybe that's, if, if I could leave you with one thing, serving and giving, serving and giving. And if I think about the title of the, mech, of the text today that I gave you, what on earth did Jesus come for? Pretty simple, I think. He came for you and me and 8 billion other people on planet Earth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for your word, and as we go through your word, may we, uh, the, the applications, the principles, and the truths, and the insight that are so important for us for daily living, may we absorb them. May others see you living in us, and may, Lord, just as Walt was influential in uh, Hendrick's life, may each of us have a, have a spiritual impact in the life of others, in whose name we pray.